Welcome to a special podcast from Finnegan. Today, we're talking about the patent trial and appeal board's presidential decision earlier this year in Apple Inc. versus Fintiv Inc. and the effects it has had on PTAB practice as well as current hot topics related to Fintiv. The Fintiv decision sets forth six factors to consider in determining whether the PTAB will institute an IPR that involves an ongoing parallel district court proceeding. Joining us for this discussion on Fintiv are two Finnegan partners, Erica Harmon-Arner and Kevin Rodkey. So thank you both for being here. Let's first start with you, Erica. The Fintiv decision follows up on prior PTAB decisions. Can you just remind us where Fintiv originated? Sure. Fintiv is actually a couple years old, although it was only designated presidential earlier this year. And we use it to kind of describe the regime that started two years ago with the case NHK Spring, which was a denial of institution based on the, quote, advanced stage of a parallel district court litigation. After that NHK Spring decision was issued, it was made presidential in May of 2019, several months after it issued, and it became the basis for many cases denying institution over the course of the next year, including six cases that were designated informative. After the case law had its time to work its way out a bit, the board issued an order which it designated as precedential infintive. So when we refer to Fintiv, it's that order that was designated precedential in May of 2020, where the board collected the cases and the factors that had been applied by various panels over that year and a half period to decide whether or not to institute IPR petitions in view of parallel litigation that was considered to be at an advanced state. You mentioned those factors. Can you talk about those six factors that Fintiv sets out in deciding whether to institute an IPR? Sure. So the Fintiv order sets forth six factors that are taken from all of those prior decisions where the board was considering different facts because the inquiry is very fact specific. And all of them stem back to the concerns for finding institution decisions that are efficient, fair, and related to the merits when appropriate. So the factors are related to efficiency and fairness, and occasionally the merits. Five of the six factors are related to the district court litigation and include things like, is the petitioner the defendant in the parallel litigation? Is there an overlap of the issues? Has the petition raised the same invalidity challenges as the district court? The investment by the district court. So how much work has the district court done in that parallel litigation? For example, has there been claim construction? The likelihood of a stay, if a stay has not already been granted, is another of the factors. And the one that seems to really be overriding many of the decisions and has been the subject of some even dissenting opinions from board judges is the trial date. Whether it's been set and how close it is to the final written decision that would be issuing if the petition is instituted. That trial date factor, factor two, if we use the numbers from the Fintive order, has proven to be sometimes dispositive or seemingly dispositive in cases. The final factor, six, is other, including the merits. All right, Kevin. Now, Fintive was issued about six months ago, and you've looked at some statistics about its impact on institution decisions. Can you discuss those results? Sure. We at Finnegan have actually looked at a couple issues related to this. One is the first thing I'm going to talk about, which is just the raw numbers. How many cases have discussed Fintive at the board and what effect has that appeared to have on institution? 
And then second, I think we'll talk about a little bit later that Eric has already mentioned is what factors qualitatively appear to be weighed a little more heavily by the board or given a little more consideration by the board. On the first issue, just the raw numbers, we looked at the number of institution decisions since March 20th, 2020, and there have been just under 800 institution decisions. And what we see there is there's really about a 50-50 split between instituted petitions and non-instituted petitions. When we look at the number of those decisions that actually discussed the fintive factors, and we were just calling out specifically the fintive factors, there have been about 150. And when we look at those petitions, just under 60%, somewhere between 56 and 58% have been instituted. So on the raw numbers, it looks like where the board is looking in detail at Fintiv, there's a higher institution rate than IPR petitions as a whole or AIA proceedings as a whole. I'm not sure that this purely numerical analysis captures all of the information. What we've seen in looking at these is that sometimes where Fintiv was raised by a patent owner, the board will look at the merits, decide that the merits were not strong enough to institute the petition regardless of what the Fintiv analysis is. And so they never reach that Fintiv analysis. So I would take these numbers with a bit of a grain of salt. But what we're not seeing that may have been a little surprising to us is that there's a higher denial rate when Fintiv is applied than for IPR petitions or AIA reviews as a whole. Underlying this statistical, this quantitative analysis, there is some qualitative analysis that you've done. And is that what you're suggesting, that this quantitative analysis doesn't quite provide the complete picture? I think that's right. And there's a couple of issues, one of which I've alluded to, which is that the board can reach the merits and issue a denial of a petition without actually getting into Fintiv when it was raised. I think, as Erica already started to touch on, what we've done is we've looked at most of the Fintiv decisions that have come out since the Fintiv order issued. And we've really tried to group the factors that the board is looking at and determine which of those factors the board appears to be placing the most weight on. And as Erica mentioned, the trial date seems to be one of the most important ones, where the trial date is before the one-year deadline for issuing a final written decision, we see the board denying more often than not. When it's close to or after the final written decision date, we see more variance. And that's a huge factor for the board that they've been looking at. The other one they seem to be very interested in is how much effort has been put into the district court proceeding by the parties. Have they started discovery or finished discovery? Are they close to trial where they're doing pretrial motions? Is there a claim construction order? How much additional briefing depositions have been performed? And that tends to be another heavily weighted factor. As Erica mentioned, the office is trying to look at efficiency and look at trying to adduce redundancy on some levels. And so maybe it's not surprising that these factors are given or appear to be given a little bit more weight by the board. The other qualitative thing I think that maybe petitioners are looking at is not the raw number of institutions or denials where Fintiv is in play, but I think they're looking at that 42% of denied petitions where Fintiv was analyzed by the board and wondering what percent of those petitions had valid merits but were denied because of Fintiv, as opposed to the board using Fintiv to deny a petition they might have otherwise denied because the merits were weak. And that's not really a number that we have. I think it's an, an interesting study that could be done. 
but maybe not one that's going to be easy because in a number of decisions, the board will go through the FINTIF analysis, decide that they should not institute for various reasons under FINTIF, and don't really do a full-blown merits analysis, although they do touch on the merits, as Erica mentioned. So we don't really have an answer to that question, but I think it is a question that a lot of petitioners are looking at and are wondering about. Well, all that relates now to FinTIF at the PTAB. Its effects have permeated district court and appellate courts. Can you discuss those challenges, Kevin? We've seen several proceedings challenging FinTIF, uh, both at the federal circuit and then there's one district court proceeding that we're aware of. Google filed an appeal from the denial of a couple of institution decisions, and also Cisco did the same thing over the summer. Both of those are direct appeals from the denials of institution, and what happened in both of those is the Federal Circuit issued a show cause order asking Google and Cisco and their respective appeals to explain why the cases should not be dismissed for lack of jurisdiction on appeal. And both of those are in briefing. We don't have a decision on those yet. Not surprisingly, the patent owners have opposed those, and we're waiting to see how those play out. There have been amicus briefs sought and potentially filed in those responses as well, and they tend to be supporting the appellants, Google and Cisco, but the PTO has intervened to say that these appeals should be dismissed for lack of jurisdiction. So it'll be interesting to see how those play out. Maybe as a backup, Cisco filed a mandamus petition as well from the denials of institution. So they did a direct appeal and then they did a mandamus petition. And that mandamus petition challenges the board's use of the NHK Spring Fintive rule saying that it conflicts with the AIA and the APA and should have been promulgated under a rules-making process. And so the denial of institution was improper. And that's been opposed by the patent owner. And again, that is basically in a holding pattern. Cisco asked that that mandamus petition be held in abeyance until a decision on whether the direct appeal was proper or not. And we're still waiting to figure out how that plays out. The other challenge that we see is Apple and several other companies filed a district court action, an Administrative Procedures Act action against Director Yonku in the Northern District of California, saying that, quote, the NHK Fintive rule is procedurally invalid because it was not adopted through notice and rulemaking comment. That's what they put in their complaint. And this seems to have garnered a substantial amount of attention as well, including from patent owners who sought to intervene. And when they moved to intervene, those patent owners said that they wanted to get a preliminary injunction against the PTO from instituting any further AIA reviews until the issue is worked out. In this case, we see two different competing sides. We see those who often file petitions at the PTO, although they are also patent owners, challenging the NHK Fintive rule under the Administrative Procedures Act. And we see several associations, including U.S. Inventor and small business inventors, taking the side of patent owners on the PTO proceedings and saying that this issue needs to be worked out before further proceedings can be instituted. We don't have any resolution to either of these issues. We don't know if there will be a preliminary injunction. There's been a hearing set for January 2021 on that. But we also don't know if they can actually intervene and get that motion. The other issue is there's just been a general status conference set for December 2nd of 2020 in which the court will issue a case management order for the initial complaint filed by Apple and others against Director Yonku. 
All right. Well, lots of action in the courts. Erica, do you expect any action from the USPTO regarding Fintiv? Yes, we do. And actually, the Patent Office issued a pre-publication notice of rules request from the Patent and Trademark Office seeking public input. So it's a request for comments. It is not a proposed rule package, which was one of the options the Patent Office had, but instead a request for comments asking the public to weigh in on several different issues, including the Fintiv NHK Spring regime. And in particular, the Patent Office has asked sort of two broad questions about the Fintiv NHK Spring approach to discretionary denial of petitions. The office has asked whether the office should continue with its case-by-case analysis by promulgating rules that follow generally the factors and the approach outlined in Fintiv and related cases. That would be a formal notice and comment rulemaking process, similar to what some of the parties are seeking in the court cases that Kevin mentioned. The other question is whether the Patent and Trademark Office should instead issue a more bright line approach, either disregarding what is going on in the district court completely when deciding to institute or declining to institute if there is a parallel district court proceeding. So that second question is really almost a bright line institute or a bright line deny question. And they're both very broad questions that the Patent Office has posed. They've given the public 30 days to comment. And so we expect this to publish on October 20th with comments due back to the Patent Office by November 19th. And we expect to see robust commenting based on what we've seen in the district courts on this topic and the federal circuit as well. There are other topics in the rulemaking as well. All of them relate to the exercise of the discretion, whether to institute or deny, that the Patent Office finds in Section 314 of the America Invents Act. And while parties wait for more clarity from these cases and from the USPTO, Kevin, how are petitioners responding? What are the considerations they might want to think about when filing petitions at the PTAB? I think Fintiv has had a pretty substantial effect on the way petitioners think about filing and think about timelines and strategies for filing. As we mentioned, the trial date in the parallel district court action seems to weigh fairly heavily in the PTAB's analysis. And so petitioners are thinking more about how soon after we get sued do we need to file. And that's obviously a case-by-case, court-by-court specific decision. But the way Fintiv has set up its framework, it creates some interesting questions for petitioners. And one of those centrally is claim construction. In the past, before Fintiv, petitioners might want to wait until after the claim construction process had begun in the district court so that they can formulate their own constructions with a thorough analysis and they can get the patent owner's constructions. And even in some cases, they can get the district court's constructions. And they can provide that to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office in order to give a thorough claim construction analysis that the board can consider when determining whether to institute a petition. And one of the reasons they might have wanted to do this was back in 2018, the board adopted the same claim construction standard as district courts in an effort to be able to harmonize the claim construction positions. So petitioners were thinking, let's try to harmonize these as much as we can. However, with the emphasis that Fintiv appears to place on speed, filing sooner because you have to keep an eye on the 
district court trial date as compared to the patent office's final written decision date, which is going to slide based on when you file your petition, there's an incentive to file sooner. And when you have that incentive to file sooner, you have to consider whether or not to file before getting that claim construction information at the district court, which might make the office's position a little harder because they won't have that claim construction from both sides and perhaps a district court. We also see in Fintive that one of the factors Erica mentioned was how much investment has been put in by the district court and the parties in the parallel proceeding. So if you wait for that claim construction, that's obviously going to result in more effort put in at the district court, which the board may hold against you in the Fintive analysis. So it, it creates an interesting balance that petitioners need to consider, especially with regard to claim construction, which is becoming fairly important. There are obviously other things that they're looking at, such as what prior art to assert. And we've seen one of the things that the board is looking at when analyzing Fintive is whether a petitioner will minimize the overlap between the petition and between the district court action. So some petitioners have been filing stipulations that if there's an institution, they will not assert the grounds in the petition or related grounds, depending on the scope of the stipulation, in the district court action. And as Erica mentioned, that's one of the factors the board is going to look at, how much overlap is there. And so we see these stipulations that some petitioners have been filing as perhaps a way to minimize or eliminate that overlap in order to tip the fintive scales in their favor. And Erica, what about patent owners? How are they responding? And what are the considerations they might want to think about when defending against petitions at the PTAB? Well, if they're thinking about the Fintive framework in particular, one of the things they can and are doing is select district courts that are known to move quickly to put those schedules together quickly, because that's something the Patent Office will look at with any ensuing IPR petitions. Selecting district courts known to resist days <laughs> is a big one. And we've seen the Western District of Texas be a very popular forum when you've got a defendant that can be sued there partially because of the speed and lack of a stay, which will weigh in favor of denying petitions because the district court will likely move quickly and not stay the case for an IPR institution. Another strategy that patent owners have been using is when the petitioner argues that there are different issues. For example, if a petition challenges some claims in the patent office that are not asserted in the district court, we have seen patent owners disclaim those extra claims so that they cannot argue that they are different issues any longer. So that disclaimer, if there are additional challenged claims at the patent office, can make the issues more similar and make it more likely that a petition will be denied. And another strategy for patent owners is to look beyond the immediate parallel litigation and to emphasize the overlap of issues perhaps with other litigations against other defendants. The Patent Office has shown its willingness to deny petitions filed by one petitioner when they find that the issues are duplicative or similar to issues already being considered in other litigations or other IPRs filed by other parties. So looking very broadly at where a patent owner might argue the courts or even the patent office itself is already considering issues raised in the petition. Well, all right. Thank you so much for joining. It's been a wonderful conversation, Erica and Kevin. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to a special podcast from Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. We've been speaking with Finnegan partners, Erica Harmon-Arner and Kevin Rodkey. 
For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.